0: Hi there, my name's Ushin Lunny and welcome to Audio Talks presented to you by Harman. And this episode, we pay homage to the beautiful world of 33, 45 and 78 RPM vinyl records. After returning from obscurity, 2022 will be the 16th consecutive year that vinyl sales have grown. We'll take a closer look at this development, what's the joy behind listening to vinyl, and what the future might hold. I am thrilled to be joined by two audio legends and vinylistas to celebrate the vinyl renaissance. Cameron Schaefer is the CEO of Vinyl Me Please. Welcome, Cameron.
1: Thanks so much, Oshin. Really glad to be here.
0: And Chris Dragon is the Senior Director of Global Product Marketing for the Lifestyle Division at Harman. Welcome, Chris.
2: Hey, O'Sheen. Good to see you and hear you again.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here.
2: Great subject.
0: Thank you so much. Chris is, of course, as uh, our regular listeners would know, a veteran of the podcast, and he's been very kind to join us uh, once again. So it's great to have you both here. Now, I thought we'd uh, kind of bookend our discussion with vinyl, of course. So I would love to know, what's the first and last vinyl record that you both bought. And we'll start with yourself, Cameron.
1: I got all of my parents' records, but then didn't really start buying my own records until 2010, 2011. So I'm I'm actually fairly new. I know there's a lot of people who have collected for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, Mm. But my first record was actually a band called Phoenix, um, a kind of a French indie pop band. So Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix was the first record I bought on vinyl and still... It's a, a family favorite. My kids still dance around to the music. I love it. Amazing. Um, and then the latest is actually our record of the month for our Essentials subscription, which is Aaliyah's self-titled debut. So first time out on vinyl for a long, long time and uh, really excited that we got to work with Empire and uh, her estate on that one.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Both two phenomenal records. What a start. Okay. And uh, over to yourself, Chris, your first and last vinyl record that you bought.
2: So now I get to date myself. <laughs> China, China <Club. laughs> uh, first, well, I, I have vinyl that was gifted to me prior, but the first yeah. uh, vinyl record that I bought was in 1973. It was Houses of the Holy by uh, Led <sighs> Zeppelin. Killer. And the most recent one that I purchased was Crash of the Crown by Styx, which only came out a handful of months ago, which is a great record.
0: Fantastic. My God, two phenomenal selections there. But uh, to be honest, I was expecting nothing less from both of you. So thank you very much for, uh, for kicking us off there. Um, so Cameron, just in case uh, some of our listeners aren't aware, you know, I've been aware of Vinyl Me Please for quite a long time. It's wonderful. I love it. It's such a cool idea. It's very much bringing the format into the modern age in a, in a way that folks absolutely love. So for anybody who hasn't come across it, what is Vinyl Me Please?
1: Yeah, great question. So Vinyl Me Please is a D2C physical music company, and we specialize in kind of more limited edition and uh, exclusive pressings of records, both old and new. Um, we operate four different monthly subscriptions that range from Essentials, which is kind of our you know OG subscription, all genres, all eras, but just albums that are essential to any collection. We have a country subscription that's quite new, hip hop, wow. as well as classics, which is all jazz, blues, and soul reissues. Wow. Um, and in addition to the four monthly subscriptions, we also operate an online record store where we serve up additional projects each month, generally limited, you know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 copies. And yeah, we've built quite a, a nice little community of people who are passionate about about records and about a tangible experience with music and we started back in 2013 and we're on track this year to ship out a little over a million records
0: oh my goodness wow that's incredibly impressive Uh, listen congratulations to you and the team at vinyl me please it's a brilliant idea and it's very heartening Uh, you know, particularly coming up to Record Store Day that, you know, so many people are embracing vinyl records via your subscription services, so that's fantastic. Uh, Now, coming over to yourself, Chris, now you mentioned Houses of the Holy was the first vinyl record you went out and bought. Was there a period of time where you just didn't buy any vinyl? Did you find that it, quote-unquote, died, or was it here all along? What's your personal experience of vinyl?
2: Well, yeah, I think the personal experience versus reality are two different things, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) In so many different ways. (laughs) But, um, you know, when the compact disc came out, you know, being somebody, an industry guy, of course, I was all about going chasing the compact disc because it was going to be better. Right. So Hmm. I definitely chased CD right out of the chute. Never really abandoned vinyl Hmm. for a number of reasons. But the CDs actually took precedent for me for a good period of time. And then I was parallel purchasing for a while. And, Mm. you know, there are things about vinyl that you just don't get on any of these other formats. You know, for you, it never
0: really went away for a lot of people. Maybe they might have just stopped buying vinyl altogether and come back to it in recent times. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the CD being introduced. I remember seeing it on the TV. They had kids on science programs putting peanut butter on the cds and then playing it straight afterwards and it would you know it still apparently worked and you know in purely scientific terms particularly these days with high-res audio there are higher fidelity formats but why is vinyl still so popular you know chris do you think there's something more to the home listing experience than just all the data the most possible data all at once i mean why does why does vinyl kind of fit into this
2: well for sure i think some of the imperfections of vinyl if you want to call them imperfections, are what are appealing about it. Yeah. You know, some of that surface noise, hearing the needle hit the groove. I mean, there's there's a romance with vinyl, right? Mm. That you just don't get with any other format. You certainly don't get it with streaming services. Yeah. The whole process of putting that LP on the deck, lovingly cleaning it, making sure the needle is clean, and then setting the needle down. I mean, it's there's a romance there that is like nothing else, and certainly a lot different than hitting the word download or pressing a button. Yeah. And then sonically, there are things about vinyl, when you're talking about positives and negatives and all the science that goes into these other formats, high res audio, et cetera, there's a warmth that still is void from some of these other formats that you have in vinyl.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you know, audiophiles and uh, vinyl purists and, you know, even the folks who frequent those amazing uh, Kissaten vinyl bars in Tokyo, the experience is everything for these people. Like you say, the romance, the needle hitting the vinyl, dusting it off and uh, lining it up and sitting down to enjoy the whole experience. Why do you think that vinyl lends itself to this experience of recorded music in this way?
1: I think it's because it feels more human just across the board. Yeah. And so there's just the analog nature of it in general. It doesn't feel like it came from robots and algorithms, Um, but then also the tangibility. And so I think, you know, it's almost funny and appropriate that Chris said his first vinyl purchase was House of the Holy, because I think there is almost a religious element in some ways to the the ritual of vinyl, Um, you know, where you carve out the time, maybe 30 minutes, an hour, even longer. And, you know, maybe you make yourself a drink or make yourself something else, but you go pick a record off the shelf, you know, have it in your hand, put it on the platter, drop the needle and, you know, kind of sit back. And Mm. that whole experience, you know, I think really touches to the core of human emotions and, and the soul. And I think that's a lot of what has been lost, you know, with a lot of the newer technology. Is is that, you know, most people these days get their music from robots. Um, and you got, you know, the Spotify algorithm serving up bits and bytes. But I think there's still a handful of us that like to touch, you know, and own and curate our own music. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what seems to be resonating with people.
0: Yeah. As you we were both talking there, my mind was going back to when I used to frequent Record shops when I lived in London. And it was kind of a relationship with the folks behind the counter. They would really get to know your taste and point out things that were up your street. And it was, you know, very collaborative and very much about being part of a community. And Cameron, you mentioned that this is a lot what Vinyl Me Please does is kind of bringing together people, sharing those recommendations. And there is that kind of tangible human element of it, like you say. But uh, Chris, what do you think is the aspect of ritual? In vinyl,
2: I think it starts long before you even put the record on the turntable. I mean, that's to me, that's a big one. When you go out and you purchase vinyl, yeah, for those of us that have and do, you have liner notes, you have lyrics, you have photography, you have all this other stuff that allows you to kind of immerse yourself in the body of work that you're about to listen to and while you're listening to it, Hmm. versus to Cameron's point basically, you know, robots serving up whatever. So you have that whole personal experience that you don't get when you're downloading tracks. The other thing is the word album Mm -hmm. has real relevance here because even the the latest Styx album is a perfect example. It's a story from start to finish. It's not a bunch of ad hoc tracks thrown on a record. Yeah, There's a story to it. And When you drop that needle on the deck, you listen to the story. You don't listen to one track and then take that record off and put another LP on, listen to one track and take that off and put another one on. I mean, you bunker down for that half an hour or whatever it may be, and then you basically go through the journey that the artist has put forth on that album. Yeah.
0: You're inviting the narrative arc of this, the storytelling that the artist intended by sitting down and listening to those tracks in that sequence. It is a you know very unique experience, very different to the streaming services, like you say. You spoke earlier about moving from the limited formats of vinyl, you know, tape CD, to this universal jukebox of the streaming services where everything, almost everything is available everywhere, 24-7 at the click of a button, robots will serve it up. Cameron, why do you think that, you know, the new generations of millennials and Zoomers are getting into vinyl again alongside boomers and Gen Xers. What's the appeal over this ubiquitous universal, you know, music as water jukebox? Why are the limitations attractive, do you think?
1: I think on that technology at its core asks us to trade human analog experience for digital convenience. And so, of course, streaming is incredibly convenient. I use it all the time. So I don't think myself or anyone at BMP is like anti-streaming or technology. But I think what we try to hone in on is the fact that it is indeed a trade-off. So you're giving something up for that technology. And I think that for the younger generation, that's all they knew. And so I grew up starting to buy most of my music in the 90s, the CD era. But a lot of our customers, you know, were born in the late 90s, early, mid 2000s, even. And so the only thing they've ever known is getting their music from their phone. And I think that when you all of a sudden have something physical, there's a great story, one of a our customers was saying that he had just gotten a whole new turntable set up in his house and he's probably in his 50s i think and had his son coming home from his freshman year of college and it asked the son hey you know i got this new turntable are there any records you want me to go buy so that you have something to listen to when you come home wow. so he, he gave him a list and i think you know one of them was like the weekend and something else and so his dad went out and got these records and his son came home and he said you know they went into the listening room to put This record on and his son was just mesmerized because he had never really seen a turntable up close and a record. And so the same kind of awe that all of us, I think, probably experienced the first time we held like an iPod and we were like, How is this possible? There's a thousand songs on this thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. The younger generation is having that aha moment with a turntable and a record. Amazing. And it's funny because you know, to us that feels like the old technology. But to a new generation that's kind of desperate for tangibility, it feels like magic. You know, they're sitting there watching this like weird arm go down and a needle and it's going into a record. And yet then it all of a sudden produces this incredible sound. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And then I think the second layer is a lot of music fans, and I think all of us are like this to some extent, like to use the objects in our life to express, you know, our identity, mm-hmm. our fandom, our values. And so, a lot of younger music fans, I think, you know, show their fandom through their collection. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the same way, you know, it's funny because I've told people that sometimes they kind of scoff at it or something. And I'm like, well, it's the same as people who collect art. Yes. You know, it's like if you're an art collector, you have art on your walls. Part of that is when people come over to your house, they learn something about you. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of millennials and Gen Z, you know whether it's the records, whether it's certain print magazines that they subscribe to, posters, whatever. That tangibility is is a reflection of their identity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're reminding me of my uh, teenage years in Dublin. Whenever one would go over to visit a friend's house or visit somebody's house for the first time, one of the first things you would do is look through the record collection, just have a, a quick shuffle, as it were, and yeah. uh, you know you kind of get a flavor of who they were from the totally. kind of music they listen to. Yeah.
1: We always joke that, you know, no one invites you over to check out their MP3 collection.
2: Nope. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> when I was in retail many, many moons ago, we had to keep obviously a gratuitous amount of vinyl in the stores back then. And, you know, the whole audio purchasing experience was so different back then. You know, a customer would come in the store, you would kind of, qualify them, figure out what they're after, then you'd bring them into a listening room, but not without stopping at the vinyl wall and saying, okay, let's go up on the wall here and pick out three or four of your favorite albums so we can play what you listen to on this gear. Or in addition to that, so many people would come in with their own vinyl. You know, they'd come in with a bag, they come in with, you know, some people come in with 20 records and they'd set up camp in a sound room for three or four hours listening to loudspeakers. Wow. Sometimes longer, you know. Can I get you lunch?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. I I look forward to those days returning. The the romance of vinyl and the very personalized experience and free lunch. Yeah, who said there's no such thing as a free lunch? I love it. Brilliant. And um, Chris, that kind of leads us on to where we are today with the art and engineering of really high-end hi-fi and uh, particularly the stunning Mark Levinson turntables. Mm. Now, this is quite a statement of intent from such a venerable high-end audio brand you know folks like David Mancuso of The Loft who's one of the godfathers of the vinyl experience the shared vinyl experience he used Mark Levinson components and amps what's your take on the decks why are they arriving now and what do you think this means for vinyl lovers and also for the market of high-end vinyl players
2: your, your pocketbook will not be disappointed. There are great turntables for $149. And of course, there are great turntables for $15,000. Yeah. You know, our, our Levinson decks were certainly a labor of love, both of them. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one we developed in concert with an established turntable manufacturer to help us put forth a really phenomenal turntable. And the model that we launched more recently, which is about a third the price at six grand, which is still a little lofty, but you certainly get a lot for it was 100% engineered inside because of the schoolings that we learned the first go-round. So we basically gained that expertise as part of that collaboration on the first turntable.
0: That's very cool.
2: There's so much that goes into building a great turntable. Mm. You know, you want to isolate it from the room. So what materials you're building the platter out of and what the actual base is made out of and how it decouples from the room. So there's no feedback and there's no resonance when you're wandering around. And the cartridge technology is just amazing, you know, being Mm -hmm. able to, you know, draw every last detail of information out of those grooves. Yeah. And then, you know, a quiet motor and and all that stuff matters. Yes. Uh, And then, of course, it matters what you're plugging it into as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's opening up a whole can of worms right there, you know. It is indeed. (laughs) And there was a recent... AES white paper, which I like the title of, is called Analog Hearts, Digital Minds. And this was, you know, AES is the Audio Engineering Society. It's like high end stuff. It's lots of research and white papers. But the paper actually rejects the hypothesis that audio quality is the sole defining factor in the listener experience. So do you think that the physical vinyl format can give a unique experience to the listener in 2022? I mean, what say you, Cameron?
1: Absolutely. And I think that you know, goes back to some of the things we've talked about with ritual. Yes. But I think from a, a lifestyle perspective, you know, all of us, I think, know kind of now the, the pros and cons of things like social media mm, <laughs> and indeed. and a life of just being bombarded by constant information, 99% of which we can't do anything about. And have no expertise in. Yeah. And so I think there's this feeling of just overwhelm Yeah. that vinyl. And I think you see it, you know, with a lot of things, it's, I think, at the core of a lot of the slow food movement. Um, I think it's the reason why people want to buy an actual hardback book. Yes. What it represents is, is kind of refuge and it's a different way of, of doing life. Um, and I think that's the thing about vinyl is <laughs> it's this magic disc that <laughs> you just put on, drop the needle, and and that's that, and you kind of can enter into a different universe where you're not having to chase and, and try to figure everything out, but you can just have a a forty five minute hour long experience that's incredibly therapeutic. And so I think that's a lot of it. Is man, it's such a uh, great refuge from kind of the world as it exists right now, which can be quite frantic. Boy, that was well put.
0: Oh, yeah. Medical grade music. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Medical grade vinyl. Absolutely. Chris, what say you on on that subject? I mean, do you think that vinyl, like the experience of unplugging and sitting down for a vinyl record, could that have a place in, you know, for want of a better phrase, one's self-care routine and actually kind of stabilizing us and just disconnecting from the craziness of the digital world from time to time?
2: Well, I think it absolutely, to answer your question, but I, and I also think it has. Yes. Certainly through the pandemic, speaking from a sales velocity perspective, I can tell you that so many people flocked to music delivery for the something to help cleanse their soul and to escape into a more euphoric state versus staring at screens all the time. And, you know, that was, you know, what Cameron said was just perfect. And, and I just wanted to put a punctuation on that and say, and no screen. Yes, You know, you think about, you know, downloaded music, you're still staring at a little screen, you're moving a jog wheel and all this other, other things, right. Versus mm. when you put vinyl down on a deck, you put the needle in place, you go and you sit Yeah, and you just let yourself get sucked into the music.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to be, um, Practicing a a bit of mindfulness next time I listen to a vinyl record with all of this in mind, it really does emphasize the the effect that it can have on you physiologically. That moment of just giving yourself permission to dip into the oasis of sound is just perfect. Coming over to the kind of business side and the supply chain side of things. Now, former Cocteau twin, Simon Raymond, an absolutely legendary UK musician, and uh, he runs Belly Union Records in the UK. They are great lovers of vinyl. They have a fantastic vinyl shop in Brighton, UK. And he recently shared some really candid thoughts on the availability of vinyl pressing facilities for indies uh, on social media. And, uh, you know, the TLDR basically is that major labels have the financial might to make sure that their artists are prioritized. So those huge releases are kind of booking out the factories and taking all of the capacity. So that means waiting times for smaller labels and smaller bands can be really problematic. So Cameron, I would love to get your take on this because obviously, you know, you're sending out, what was it, a million uh, vinyl units per year. Do you see issues around this and do you see any solutions for the smaller labels?
1: Yes, yeah, we've been in the thick of it for the last few years. Um, And it's true right now, global demand for vinyl pressing is estimated to be 300 350 million units annually. and it's chasing right now about 150 million units of uh, pressing capacity globally. And that you know is starting to ramp up in terms of the supply of, of capacity. But essentially, you know we're kind of reaping the repercussions, if you will, of a lot of years of either not investing or under investing in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense why, on one level, I think for many years, the people who still were operating pressing plants or different aspects of manufacturing were looking at this, saying, "Man, I don't know. Is this is this just a fad? Because it seems so weird that vinyl is growing right now." And oh, you know, year after year would go by where it's continuing to grow, and yeah. I think there is a, a real reluctance. To just finally invest and buy new machines, expand all those things, mm. and I think what happened is by the time that people you know are realizing, hey, it's like I think you said at the beginning, it's been 16 years. Mm. And I always joke, it's like I don't know too many fads that last 16 years. Mm. <laughs> um, and so now, though, you know, people are rushing to try to fill that void, and we're we're kind of in a two to three year window where it's just massively behind. And, you know, I think the reality is more people are going to have to commit to investing in order to get us out of this crunch. And it's true. You know, yes, on the one hand, the majors obviously have a lot more money. The thing I see, though, that's a little bit more nuanced is they also have a lot of catalog. Oh, yeah. And so where it gets challenging for a lot of indie labels is generally they're focused almost exclusively on new releases. Nice. And so the artist will turn in the album. no artist wants to hear that you know they gotta wait now twelve months to put it out. Yeah. whereas for a lot of the major labels, there's a decent chunk of their business that is you know reissuing older titles, and that you're not as as time sensitive and so oh, that yeah. creates a, a tricky dynamic as well. but certainly, you know, I don't think we're through it yet. I think mm-hmm. we have probably another year to eighteen months at least where pressing is going to be really backed up and we've seen it basically globally it's gone from about an eight to ten week turnaround maybe 18 24 months ago to now probably more like eight to ten months mm. um so it's challenging
0: yeah yeah absolutely you know you spoke earlier about the amazing community finally please um i'm curious to know what releases have maybe surprised or impressed you in terms of the reaction of the community and why
1: you know, there's been a lot, actually, that surprise you in different ways. So a few that come to mind is, one, you know, in 2018, we put together the first ever compilation of the Ethiopian artist Ayelu Mesfin. Wow. Um, so he's was kind of the, almost like the James Brown of Ethiopia back in the 70s and was playing to sold out soccer stadiums. And then uh, was driven underground when the communist regime took over. And so he ended up recording a bunch of music underground with uh, the Black Lion Band, his band. And it turned out my, my buddy, Ethan Alipat, who runs a reissue label called Now Again, yes. he hit me up and he's like, Hey, Ayelu actually lives in Denver now. And apparently has you know a ton of reel-to-reel, a lot of his uh, seven inches that were released in Ethiopia that he still has in mint condition. Mm-hmm. So we ended up going to his house and long story short, you know we worked with him to put out the first full compilation of his music. That one was exciting because he's an Ethiopian artist not singing in English and you know it can be disorienting music if you've never listened to Ethiopian music. and so I think we were a little nervous of how our audience would respond. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the just kind of outpouring of support and understanding of how important this was and, and then a genuine love for the music. Um, it was really a true discovery moment. And it was, it was huge for IELU to have this kind of resurgence after, frankly, not really being in, in music for quite a while. So that was one, one that did really well for us. And it wasn't a huge surprise, but it's been interesting to see the longevity. Is we put out Fiona Apple title on vinyl yeah, for the first time. It, great album. it had been released in 96 and never had a vinyl release. And so we worked with Sony Legacy and uh, Fiona and her team to go back and you know found all the analog tape, um, did a A AAA cut and put that out. And that's been a- amazing because we, I think, did that three years ago and it continues to just sell constantly. Wow. Um, and then I think on the more recent side, I think one thing I've been really excited by is actually the thirst for modern pop music on vinyl. And it's not the thing you know that I think most vinyl collectors and audiophiles tend to like think about. But we did a bunch of Shakira reissues um, recently, uh-huh. and to see her, she you know has a global fan base, but to see her fan base like come out of the woodwork, um, I mean, we sold through them so fast, and basically since we sold out, you know, almost a year ago. You see on on almost any post on our social media, there's going to be someone asking, "Hey, when are you repressing the Shakira titles?" Fantastic. And so I think that's really cool too, because it's just again not something you would necessarily expect, um, but it was a pleasant surprise.
0: I love the uh, hashtag vinyl posts on Instagram. You know, folks with enormous collections and ladders reaching up to their shelves at the ceiling. It's uh, always impressive. Uh, speaking of which, Chris, I imagine you have a very mouth-watering setup for listening to vinyl at your home. Take us through the the Chris Dragon setup. Make us jealous.
2: Uh, Well, there's some Mark Levinson in there, for sure. Wow. And I think maybe I'll just stop there. (laughs) That's enough. That's all we need to hear. But, you know, Levinson (laughs) Electronics, uh, JBL loudspeakers. Amazing. People don't realize this, but there actually were turntables in automobiles. Uh, They were engineered and mounted upside down. And then the the uh, LP was actually clamped to the platter, and then they used a spring to keep the needle pushed up against the vinyl. But these other formats do have a place because, obviously, if we want to take music on the go with us, it'd be hard to strap a turntable to your back. And you know, when the and you mentioned something about when the iPod first came out, and for me, what was interesting about that is I wasn't abandoning my other formats because of this great new device that holds all this music. It was merely my new Walkman, when I wanted to take music out into the world with me, instead of, you know, having cassette tapes, I had a different way to bring music out into the world with me. And that's kind of how it uh, would fit into my life. But when I got back to the home base, it was back to the room, back to the vinyl, sitting down and listening to music. Yeah, And that's the other thing, you know, this uh, movement for a lot of the younger demographic, and Cameron touched on this as well, is Teaching them something new, Mm. not only as a byproduct of this technology, but as a byproduct of the experience, because music has almost become background noise for people. People can say, oh, I'm so into music. I'm such a listener, but it's, um, I listen to music when I'm Mm
0: -hmm.
2: whatever else you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Not for the pure joy of just listening to the music. Mm. And this almost kind of conditions you to do just that. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of the younger consumers who really are uh, music aficionados and have a love for music are going, huh, wow, this is really amazing. And it kind of forces them in a backhanded sort of way to to sit down and really listen to the nuance of the music. And I'm a musician, as you know, so yes. I'm always listening to guitar parts. And how did he get that sound? And wow, what a great riff. And, you know, all that, all that other stuff. But yeah. It's very interesting how it's changed and changing behavior.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, one event that folks might have become aware of in more recent years is, of course, Record Store Day, which is happening this weekend. So I'm curious to hear from you both. Do you have any plans for Record Store Day this weekend? Uh, Starting with yourself, Cameron.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So my buddy is one of the people who runs a record store in Boulder called Paradise Found on Pearl Street in Boulder. and so. I can't think of uh, any other place that I'd rather line up than Pearl street on Boulder for record store day. So planning on heading down there and joining the the hungry mob. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you, you might see some audio talks listeners in the queue now. That's absolutely brilliant. And uh, Chris, how about yourself? Have you any plans to pop out and replenish your collection?
2: Well, I'm, I certainly have plans. Uh, the band I'm in actually has gigs both days and there's some other work around that. So it'll, it'll be a time permitting thing for me, but uh, I'm going to do my best to find some time. We have a couple of great shops here on Long Island that I frequent.
0: Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe every day can be record store day sometimes.
2: Well, that's my (laughs) attitude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. So that's, you know, we've kind of looked at vinyl's history. We've heard your own personal backstories and it's been Great to hear about the romance of vinyl being rediscovered by a whole new generation and how it's kind of opening the door to deep listening experiences and the joy of unplugging from the the hose of data that we're all so used to these days. But what do we think the future might hold for vinyl?
1: It's it's a great question and and one that, you know, I feel like I keep getting asked every year, you know, and it makes sense. I think we're all always trying to figure out kind of what the future of the industry is going to look like. What I would say is I'm quite optimistic that growth will continue. And the biggest reason, you know, there's really been two big drivers of vinyl growth over the last like two to three years. COVID certainly played a large role. People being at home and Chris already touched on this that, you know, I think anyone who is in high-end audio, either on the hardware side or selling records, Mm -hmm. all of us went into lockdown and were fearful and wondering what the heck this means. And then pretty quickly, I think anyone that was in the vinyl industry realized, oh man, this is a lot of people now are at home and want to cultivate an environment that they enjoy. And, and vinyl has become a big part of that for people and a, a great ritual. So that certainly played a large role. Um, and I think people have you know continued with some of those habits. And then the one that I think is just now starting to get covered more, because everyone was talking about COVID, but I think the one that now is, is becoming more relevant and covered is Gen Z. Getting into vinyl in a pretty significant way. I know that we have seen that. That, you know, I I used to, when we started the company, think, oh man, it'd be really cool if we had like some, you know, 18 to 24 year olds that were getting into this. And now we've heard anecdotally of middle schoolers signing up for Vinyl Me Please. Wow. You know, and I have a 14 year old daughter and she's come home telling me, oh yeah, so and so said they bought some records and they've heard of Vinyl Me Please, not even knowing. Or connection to me fantastic and so i think that's really really encouraging yeah because you know that is a, a large group of music fans that if they start catching the vinyl bug and understanding you know how rewarding that experience can be mm. um i think that gives us you know another decade where people are rediscovering and people always in the industry kind of <laughs> I think cynically, somewhat lament of like, oh, they're doing another, you know, reissue of, you know, Led Zeppelin or whatever. Yeah. But the reality is, is you know, if you're a 15 year old kid trying to start your record collection, mm. you may know Led Zeppelin the name, um, but you say, hey, if I'm going to be a serious collector, I should have that in my collection. And so it's kind of like every 10 years, there's kind of this new group of music fans and collectors that are building their collection for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really exciting. And so I feel quite optimistic. I think probably biggest challenge that really I think everyone knows and people are trying to address at different levels is quality control. Mm-hmm. So with the rush of so many people trying to press records and not enough capacity, we have definitely seen it across multiple plants where QC has gone down um, in kind of a disturbing way just because I think they're trying so hard to keep up with all the orders coming in. And I think if something's going to derail it, um, it's going to be people spending $40 on an album just to take it home and find out it's, it's defective in some way. And yeah. so that's been something we've been really focused on at BMP is like, how can we continue to increase our quality standards so that if people are spending good money on our products that you know, they're getting a quality experience.
0: That fills me with optimism, that entire statement from the uh, the new generations to the quality control that you have over there at uh, Vinyl Me Please. And Chris, you know, we've heard about some very high-end equipment now, but our listeners at home might be thinking, wow, it sounds expensive to get into vinyl. But have you got any advice for how our listeners can embark on their own vinyl journeys?
2: Well, first and foremost, let me say that it is not uh, cost prohibitive to get into it. So if you're not into it, it's important for people to understand that it is as accessible as any other music delivery format. There are turntables for under a hundred dollars that get the job done quite well. And there are electronics that can be partnered with that very reasonably. So I think that's really an important thing to make sure that the listeners understand is it's not a cost prohibitive category to get into if you, if you are not in vinyl and then there's a lot of you that have turntables looming somewhere in your home.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: You couldn't part with it. You didn't part with your vinyl.
0: Yeah.
2: You didn't part with your turntable. But it's all taken a back seat somewhere in your house. Mm-hmm. So go dig it out. Nice. And in terms of from a manufacturing perspective, I mean, you look at what's going on. Any number of online sellers, brick and mortar, globally, I mean, you can see assortments of turntables increasing, not decreasing. Certainly you can see more and more attention being paid to it on the hardware side. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, loudspeaker solutions like ourselves and others make to make it. uh, I'm not going to do a selfish plug here on, uh, (laughs) on our stuff as much as I would love to, (laughs) Uh, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, we've been around since, you know, we built sound for the first talking movie in 1927. But, uh, you know, again, easy access. So, you know, don't not investigate it because you think it's going to be a cost prohibitive thing to do. And then, you know, Cameron's got so much going on here. I'm really excited about what what's happening on your end and just trying to get that pipeline filled up. I have many, many, many friends that are artists from the seventies and eighties, obviously as partially as a byproduct of me being a working musician and also based on where I work. And I can tell you, so many of them are so excited when they're launching new albums that the first thing they'll show me in an email or a text or something, they're showing me the LP. Mm. Here's our new record. Yes. And they're showing me the LP. Absolutely. So, I mean, they're excited about it too. And then contemporary artists as well. You know, as Cameron said, pop, interesting. But there's a lot of great pop music. And there's a lot of artists and pop music that are real music heads. Yeah. They get it as well. So I think it's a sunny picture. If we can keep the pipeline full of vinyl, which is certainly going to be the hard part because as demand increases, like so many things in our lives right now, uh, and you know, keeping quality up to is, is paramount. Uh, I don't think it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yes.
0: The only way is up to quote the great Otis Clay. There uh, you go. And yeah, Chris, is it, you know, you're a, a live musician, you work in the business. Are you seeing any overlap between vinyl and the vinyl formats and live music?
2: I live in New York. So, you know, we have some amazing uh, performance venues in New York. The Beacon Theater probably being one of my favorite in New York City. Yeah. And artists have really embraced the whole album thing to the point that they're performing albums in order. Oh, yeah front to back Mm. and the Beacon Theater is actually is one of the homes of a bunch of artists that are doing that. Steely Dan being one that actually goes in for they're in uh the Beacon for a week and a half, typically every year. Wow. Uh they do a different album every night. Then they do a greatest hits night. And then they do an audience request night.
1: It's incredible.
2: But you know it's it's pretty cool. And uh Sticks is another band that has done uh, Mm -hmm. done that as well truly enjoyable the grand illusion they've done front to back they've done other albums front to back and there are many artists that are kind of following suit in fact i'm seeing more and more artists piling on but for whatever reason the beacon theater seems to be a great locale for that so any of you in the northeast or any of you looking to travel to the northeast you should watch the uh concert schedule at the beacon plus the sound system in that theater is just magic
1: oh it's amazing We have some good ones in Denver that have a good amount of history, but a new one actually that was just built about three years ago um, that from a sound perspective is incredible is the Mission Ballroom. Mm -hmm. So it's probably our version of Brooklyn Steel um, would be like the closest comparison I could make. But it's been really cool because I've gone to shows there now multiple times where the artists have stopped in the middle of a song and just been like, this sounds so good.
2: (laughs) Wow. So yeah,
1: Mission, Mission Ballroom in Denver uh, for people who love live music and love really good sound is, is pretty incredible.
0: Fantastic. Well, mental note to self, as I say, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. And finally, we invite all of our VIP guests on the podcast to add a track to our title playlist. So I'm wondering, could each of you pick a track that... You also treasure on vinyl. And maybe if there's any kind of a backstory about uh, where you got the vinyl or what it means to you, uh, that'd be awesome for our listeners to hear. And we'll start with your good self, Cameron.
1: Yeah, just since I referenced him earlier, and I think it's such a fun story, I'd say Ayelu Mesfin Hasabe. Amazing. I think that he's an artist that people, when they hear you know, Ethiopian funk, a lot of people either feel like I have no idea what to expect or it strikes fear like this might be too (laughs) too out there for me and I think uh, Ayelu is such an incredible artist because everyone I've played it for is kind of mind blown because it's this melding of influences you know a lot of western influences coming into Africa in the 70s yeah um, and yet still has you know a very Ethiopian lean to it and so um, I think that's just a great discovery one.
0: Tremendous suggestion and a brilliant backstory. Thank you, Cameron and Chris. What's your addition for our title playlist this time?
2: That's a really hard question, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, and I don't remember the name of the album. I'm going to have to go dig it out. But a pair of artists that really got me to discover guitar were Chet Atkins and Les Paul. Oh, yeah. And uh, they actually did at least one album together that I know I have, maybe more than one that I'm going to go find. That's absolutely going to positively be it for me, and then probably the other one that I would put a pin in would be Quadrophenia by the Who, and that's not a one-track listen, sure, uh, by any stretch. Talk about storytelling!
0: Oh yeah, I, uh, as a teenager, I used to listen to that back to back the entire thing, and uh, you know have the whole al- double album experience, no less brilliant choices thank you so much and I am going to uh, dust off my copy of Stan Getz and Jao Gilberto the best of two worlds there is a track on there called Aguas de Marco which is a very famous track but that version from that vinyl record just blew my mind when I heard it back in the 90s and it took me 10 years to find a copy in a clothes shop in Height uh, ashbury in San Francisco wow. and finally it was mine and I still love it uh, it's just I get goosebumps whenever I think of it it's wonderful Well, thank you so much for joining us on Audio Talks presented by Harman. Cameron Schaefer.
1: Thanks so much, Oshin. It was really fun.
2: And Chris Dragon. Always a pleasure. And this was a great one. Great topic. And uh, really enjoyed spending time with uh, you and Cameron on this.
0: Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment and share with your friends and family. If you're enjoying the Audio Talk series of podcasts, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a nice review. It really does mean a lot and it helps new listeners get to know the amazing guests we talk to in every episode. For more exclusive content, some behind the scenes goodies and maybe even some competitions, connect with us on Instagram. You can find us at at audio Talks podcast. We'll be back soon for some more fascinating audio talks. See you next time.